You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. And we'll read verses 26 through verse 20, uh, through verse 38. And uh, we're going to go through uh, 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 the story here of, of Mary and the angel and Mary being informed of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, again, if you're one of those, you know, that is just grumpy when you come to church, I hope that the Christmas season helps bring it out of you. You know, you, you, just, there's just something wrong with people who can be grumpy when it's Christmas time. I think there's a rule, there's a commandment or something about that in the Bible somewhere. Uh, but, uh, but you ought to be, if you're not happy any other time of year, you ought to be happy at the Christmas season. And uh, you know, it reminds me of the story, uh, uh, years back there was a, a Peanuts cartoon and uh, Lucy uh, was saying to Charlie Brown, she was just looking around, she said, I hate everything, I hate everybody, I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown said, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy said, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. Um, so if for any other time of the year, leave your outer obnoxiousness at home, all right? Let, let that inner peace come out during the Christmas season and, uh, uh, and have a good time with Christmas. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, and uh, we'll jump right into this, this passage of Scripture. Verse 26, the Bible says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel, said, uh, the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know, a few years ago, it kind of became a big story among Christian churches, among Christianity. There's a, there's a pastor of a big church and uh, has a, a wide audience. And uh, he sparked a big debate among Christians by really downplaying the importance and the significance of the virgin birth of Christ. And that really stirred a lot of people. And, and part of it may have been just kind of the shock factor to kind of get people's attention. Uh, but specifically when talking to unbelievers, about the Christmas story, he really was encouraging his congregation to not really talk much about the virgin birth. He said that, you know, that's such an outlandish, such a far out thing for a person to accept. Basically, kind of just leave it, leave it off to the side, don't really talk about it. Now, to his credit, he didn't say that he didn't believe that it was true, uh, 
but he said it's such a hard thing for an unbeliever to accept. There were such other important doctrines for an unbeliever to accept, like the resurrection of Christ, that the virgin birth is something that we just really shouldn't really talk much about. You know, I thought, man, that's a, you know, in my opinion, I'm not a pastor of a big church, but in my opinion, that's a horrible take. That's a horrible take. The doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is so important and it's so valuable to what we believe as Christians. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, I'll warn you now, this is going to be more of of an adult adult Bible lesson. This is going to be less of a sermon, not really a sermon, but this is more of an adult type of a lesson about what the Bible teaches concerning the virgin birth of Christ. The whole takeaway that I hope you get is this. When you leave here, Today, I hope that the big takeaway is I can trust my Bible. I can trust what God says. Because ultimately, that's the, tr- that's, that's the whole belief system that comes into question. Do I believe God's word or do I, be- do, or do I not? Do I believe what God gave me in his infallible word or do I believe that there are some errors and some made up stories along the way? And I hope today that as you're here this morning, if you have any doubt, that you can be more focused and have a better understanding of the foundational truths of God's word. I hope that if you're a Christian and you know God's word and you believe it from cover to cover, that you'll walk out of here even more confident and uh, and more excited about sharing the Christmas story and and this Christmas season. Um, It's possible, it is possible to take, to make too little, to make too little of the virgin birth. The implication by the pastor who said it's not a big deal it doesn't matter where Jesus, whether Jesus Christ was born of a virgin or not. Uh, just it's it's takes a very sh- a very sh- sharp takes a shot at the Bible and the credibility of God's word. Years ago, before his death, Larry King, many of you know him, the well-known talk show host, for many years, he once said, if he could choose one person to interview from the course of human history, he would choose to interview Jesus Christ. And when the question was asked, well, what would you ask Jesus? He said, the first thing I would ask him, were you indeed virgin born? Then he said this, the answer to that question would define history for me. What an important statement. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is so important. It is a history defining moment. Why is that the fact? Why is that the case? Because of the fact is if Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, then there is absolutely no doubt that he is the son of God. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then the Bible cannot be trusted when it comes to telling the story of Jesus. And if you have mistrust, then that mistrust cannot be limited to just the virgin birth. The fact is this, biblical Christianity and ultimately the gospel cannot survive the denial of the virgin birth of Christ. Without the virgin birth, you end up with a very different Jesus than the fully human and fully divine Savior that the Scripture tells us about. Now, this is kind of elementary here, and, uh, and if you've been in church for a long time and you know all this, just, just roll along with us here. If you're a newer Christian, we'll go over a, a few basic things here to kind of help kind of establish a foundation of where we're going. So in Christianity, there's some things that we call the fundamentals of the faith, all right? If you played sports, you understand you have to learn the fundamentals. When it comes to to playing basketball, you got to learn how to dribble that ball. You got to get out and you got to practice. You've got to learn your footwork when it comes to shooting a basketball. When you're playing baseball, uh, you've got to learn how to step and how to throw and where to bring your arm back and how to follow through. With anything in life, we understand there are basics, there are fundamentals. What's the same with Christianity? We have fundamental truths uh, that are important for us to know. Uh, often, you know, 
growing up, you heard the term being mentioned a lot, the being a fundamentalist. And in our culture today, that's like a really bad thing. You know, fundamentalist means typically today, it's like one of two things, like you're a hillbilly redneck inbred, you know, out there in the woods and want to take down the government. And, uh, and you're, you're that kind of nut and redneck out there. Or you're like, uh, you know, uh, an extremist Muslim wants to blow everybody up. And uh, that's typically not a name a lot of people want to associate today. But when you're looking at the real truth of the term of being a fundamentalist, that's what we are. That just simply means we believe the fundamentals of the Christian faith, okay? So with the fundamentals of Christianity, these are things that are absolutely essential. If you take any of these away, you don't have Christianity anymore. So that's, these are some of the things that we're going to look at today. For instance, okay, one of these would be the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Meaning that Jesus Christ came as our substitute. He died on the cross for our sins. If you take that away, you don't have Christianity. Uh, another fundamental of the faith is, again, one of those real heavy things a lot of people that are not Christians have a hard time believing, but the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We believe that Jesus died. He was buried. He was in the ground for three days, three nights, rose from the grave. All right, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fundamental of the faith. You take that away, you don't have Christianity. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is one of those. It's a fundamental of the faith. You take it away, you don't have Christianity. Now you can go too far with that whole teaching of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, many of you know I'm from Louisiana and the, the culture there is extremely heavy in the Catholic faith. There are Catholic churches everywhere and uh, north of 80% of, of people in Louisiana, South Louisiana in particular, claim to be Catholic. And one of the teachings of the Catholic Church is, uh, is the teaching of the Immaculate Conception, that Mary was a virgin herself when she conceived the Lord Jesus Christ, and that she remained a virgin, and then one day she ascended into heaven without sin. That makes too much of Mary. Okay, that's going too far with some of these, these teachings of the virgin birth. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, look at verse 28 in Luke chapter 1. You see that phrase there, blessed art thou among women, not above, but among women. In the upper room before the day of Pentecost, you see uh, the disciples were there. And the Bible says about 120 were gathered there. And also Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, uh, was there, not above them, but among them. So it's important to understand as Christians why we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, what the Bible says about it. And what we understand it means for the Christian faith. Why? Because the day is going to come where you're going to be attacked on this. If it haven't been already, our culture, if you haven't noticed this, our culture is not really Christian friendly. Um, I learned this when we moved here about a year ago. We ain't in the Bible Belt anymore. Uh, there's a lot of folks in this area who are not uh, grounded in the Christian faith. Now, when we teach something like the virgin birth, as Christians, we should not shy away from it because it sounds far-fetched. No, in fact, we ought to hold true to that. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We need to understand what the Bible says and be able to defend these teachings intelligently. There are good, solid, intelligent reasons why we believe the fundamentals of the faith. And we're going to talk about specifically the virgin birth of Jesus today. So the first point today, we're going to look at the accounts of the virgin birth. The accounts of the virgin birth. Now, don't worry. We got three points. The first one's the longest one. All right. So we'll be here for a few minutes. After this one, they get shorter. Okay. And then we'll wrap it up and head to the house. Okay. The accounts of the virgin birth. Let's look at the documents that support the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You hold in your Bible the word of God. 
you've got in your Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're able to, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, you can look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter nine. We're gonna look there in just a moment. I'll tell you what, we'll probably be in Isaiah 53 first. But let's look at what the Bible says about the virgin birth of Christ. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there are certain scriptures that predicted that Jesus would be born of a virgin. All the way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter three, you find the first prediction in the Bible that relates to the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, Genesis three fifteen, God's talking to Satan. And God says to him, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed, Satan's seed, and key phrase here, her seed. It's the seed of the woman. Her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Notice the terminology, her seed. That statement was very different. Okay, uh, a baby was never referred to as her seed. It was always referred to as his seed. The rabbis through the centuries, they had a hard time understanding what does this mean, her seed here? When we get to the New Testament, we encounter the doctrine of the virgin birth and we know that this is a direct fulfillment of the prediction of the virgin birth of Christ in the very first book of the Bible. Many of you know the name Lee Strobel. He wrote the book years ago, The Case for Christ. Many of you don't know the book, you've seen the movie. All right, we'll take that, okay? Uh, In the book, The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel says this. He compares the Old Testament ancient prophecies, he, he compares it to fingerprint evidence like you would see today in a court of law. Ancient prophecies create a a fingerprint, a pattern that only Jesus Christ in all of history manages to match. If you're in Isaiah 53, look at verse number six, Isaiah 53, six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, this verse was written eight centuries before Jesus came, long time ago. All right, if you read this passage, if you read this without any presuppositions, without any bias, you can't help but state that this very clear that this passage of scripture is talking about Jesus Christ. All right, real quick, don't want to muddy, muddy the waters too much here, but in the Old Testament, you see there, there are two types of prophecies about Jesus. You find those that are fulfilled uniquely in Christ and those that are fulfilled typologically in Christ. Those that are fulfilled uniquely in Christ, those are once and for all fulfilled by Jesus himself. And these are the ones that we can really point to that demonstrate that Jesus was the only person who could fulfill all of this. Okay, like what, like what? What what are some of these? First one would be like his birth in Bethlehem. The birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, that was something that had to be uniquely fulfilled by him. This role of the suffering servant that we just read about in Isaiah 53, that would be another one, a uniquely fulfilled role from Jesus Christ. His entrance into Jerusalem that we see prophesied in Zechariah 9. These are all clear evidences that Jesus and his life was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. The most amazing part about Isaiah 9 is when he speaks of the son of David coming to be the king to sit on the throne of David and have an eternal righteous kingdom. Many people know that, you know, you, you know this from, from Handel's Messiah. This is, this is where we go to Isaiah 9, if you're there. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So the idea of this verse is that the Messiah is prophesied in the book of Isaiah that he will actually, physically, literally be born. Then it says, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. 
Okay, so the Bible says all the way back in Isaiah, he's going to be born. Unto us a child is born. His name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. In other words, this baby who is going to be born is the creator and he is the author of all time. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty great passage of scripture. Some skeptics have said that Jesus tried to engineer, he probably engineered uh, his fulfilling of these prophecies. Well, he couldn't determine where he was going to be born. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried that, but uh, most people I know could not figure out and fulfill where they're going to be born. Maybe that's what Deanna's baby's trying to do, trying to set its own time and place. I don't know. Um, As a suffering servant of Isaiah 53, it would have been difficult for him to engineer such a specific fact. But the fact that Jesus was fulfilling what we've talked about with some of these prophecies, the fact that he rode in on the donkey uh, uh, that was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, the fact that he was doing these things that were prophesied are showing his self-consciousness that he truly believed and knew that he was the Messiah. Psalm 22 gives a, a poetic picture from David written in the first person of what the Messiah would suffer. One of the things that he says, he says, they will pierce my hands and my feet. Now notice David wrote this, David wrote this before, well before crucifixion was ever even a practice. Probably uh, about 300 years before crucifixions ever became a thing. In Isaiah 53, it says he was pierced through. Then it gives the reason he was pierced through for our iniquities. That's big because now there's a purpose. There's a purpose for which he dies. He's not just a martyr, but he's a substitution for sin. Now, back to Lee Strobel. He references in his book, he talks about uh, probabilities and he references a college professor of mathematics and science, a man by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner. Stoner wanted to determine the probability, the odds. What are the odds that any human being throughout history could fulfill the Old Testament prophecies? So he had his class get together and they, they came up with some conservative estimates. They took 48 of the 60 plus prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. They took 48 of them. What, are the, what is the probability that any one person in the course of history could fulfill all of these prophecies? And their determination, they said it was one chance in one trillion, 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 trillion. Now, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it's really, really small chance, all right? Those are the prob- that's the probability. Those are the chances that one person in history could fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies. And yet, we have one character in history that did just that, that fulfilled those prophecies. What are the mathematical prob- probabilities that a baby could be born of a virgin? Those probabilities are way off the chart, okay? I got nothing for you, all right? But yet, in Isaiah 7, 14, the prediction is made. Therefore, the Lord himself shall, call you, uh, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Isaiah said a virgin is going to bring forth a son and the son will be God in the flesh, God with us. Isaiah 9, 6, we just read it a moment ago. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, meaning that he already existed. So Jesus was gonna have an earthly origin and he was gonna have an heavenly origin. That's a big deal. On the earth, a child is born. From heaven, a son is given. Jesus existed before he was born. You and I didn't. I don't know if you knew that. But we didn't, but Jesus did. The birth of Jesus was God giving his son 
to this earth. So how did he give him? He gave him through virgin birth. That's the Old Testament prediction. Now, let's go back to Luke 1. Let's go back to Luke here. Now, if we've been paying attention through the study on the book of Acts, we understand Luke is the author. And Luke was a pretty smart guy. Luke was a doctor. Very intelligent man. He was also a historian. And one of the the key points on Luke and the book of Acts is that you find incredible historical accuracy. Being a physician, Luke dealt with all kinds of physical problems, abnormalities. He knew much about the human body. He was very aware of the fact that the birth of Jesus Christ was not a normal, ordinary birth. If you read Luke 1, 1 through 4, we're not going to go look at it right now, but if you read that, he talks about how careful he was in putting together all the information in the book. He, he mentions the fact that he has eyewitness accounts. All right, so he's going right to the horse's mouth on this. He wants to hear from the people who were there. I tend to think that Mary was one of these eyewitnesses. The Bible doesn't say that and we won't fight over that, but I believe that she was just based off of the fact that Luke talks so specifically about the events that led to the birth of Christ. Luke 131, notice how careful he is in his language here. He says, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Luke records that the angel said to Mary that she would conceive. And by the way, this was not some mystical different term for conception. It was the same word conceive that was, the, that was used for any other normal conception. Which by the way, scientists have proven it's been, it's been stated fact that life begins at conception. There's no, data, no debate about that. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. doesn't matter what legislatures say. The Bible says first that life begins at conception. Mary was going to conceive and immediately she asked a question that, of course, I think everyone would have asked, how? <laughs> how is this going to happen? Luke goes into the details. Look at verse, 35 and 36, uh, verse number 35 of chapter 1. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The, high, the, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. That word overshadow really means to envelop like a cloud. The angel tells her the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna envelop you and he's gonna cover you up so that Jesus can be born of the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. The same Holy Spirit that gave life to this earth in Genesis 1 at creation, that same Holy Spirit had the power to give life to Mary for there to be virgin birth. If you can believe in God creating the world, you can easily begin uh, believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit accomplished both things. So we have the record of the birth of Jesus. Matthew also talks about it in Matthew chapter one. He gives us the account in Matthew one. He goes back to Isaiah 7, 14 and, and references that. He says, now all this was done in Matthew chapter one that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. When Jesus was born, he was fulfilling Isaiah 7, 14 about a virgin being, uh, uh, giving birth and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. So Luke gives the account, Matthew gives the account and that's the record, that's the account of his birth. So that's the first point here. The second one is this, the reactions to the virgin birth. What are the re- reactions to the virgin birth? John eight forty one gives us a, a very clear picture of this and we'll hit that in just a moment. At any time, I'm sorry, at the time when Christ Jesus was born, one of the reactions, the immediate reaction was that of slander. 
Mary was slandered because of the birth of Jesus. I mean, obviously she was placed under a cloud of suspicion. I mean, what do you think when a woman comes in and says, I'm pregnant, but I've never been with a man. I've, I've, I'm, I'm a virgin giving birth to a child. Of course, uh, most people didn't think that, that there was any way that was possible. They thought she was a liar. They began to slander her. John 8, 41, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. I mean, the enemies of Jesus were attacking him in his lifetime. Everywhere he went and taught, the enemies of Jesus were there attacking him. And then, you know, we see this in our culture today, and you shouldn't uh, just be argumentative for the sake of of being argumentative. But what happens so often, we see this play out daily in our culture. Man, good night. You get on social media and you'll get a hammer for all kinds of stuff. Man, I've I've been on social media before and I've said some things on Twitter before and people just start blasting me. I'm like, man, you don't even know me. Like, I'm much worse than that, you know. Uh, You think I'm bad, call my wife, she can tell you. Uh, No, we look at what happens, you have these ad hominem attacks, these these attacks on the person. I I can't argue the point, so I'm gonna attack you. What happened with the Pharisees here? They couldn't argue with Jesus on the substance. So what did they begin to argue? Well, look at who you were born. We weren't born out of fornication like you were. They begin to attack the foundational principle, the foundational truth of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Through years, there have been attacks and hostile reactions to the virgin birth of Christ. And I'll just say this here, just throw this point in as well. If Jesus, the son of God, if Mary, who was set aside by God to to be the mother to bring forth the birth of Jesus Christ, if they could be attacked and they had to suffer persecution and attack from people that were enemies of the faith. Why do we feel like we shouldn't have to, put a, uh, have to deal with some attacks as well? Why do we feel like we shouldn't sometimes have to deal with persecution? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, we're going to suffer persecution. Part of being named with Christ and saying, I believe that book, means that we're gonna have to sometimes face persecution. We're gonna have to sometimes face unbelief and sometimes face some harsh critics. This is why it's important for us to know the word of God, know what it says, know what it says in its context and understand what history reveals as well. Some people say that, you know, you can't believe the virgin birth. That pastor I talked about at the beginning of the message here, he had mentioned this, you know, it's only mentioned in Luke and Matthew and it's not mentioned anywhere else. Well, first and foremost, that's not really true. John three sixteen. many of us know this passage of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That phrase only begotten is so important. It's taken from the Greek word monogonis. What does that mean? It means unique or uniquely born. His only begotten son. Even John said the only uniquely born son of God. He's making reference to the virgin birth of Christ. The apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3.16, he says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. This is a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. In Romans 1.3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made, he doesn't use the term born, he says, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made, not born, made of a woman. He already existed. He wasn't born of a woman. It said he was made of a woman, a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. You know, I've got a few books in my office next door. I've got some history books. I've got books on World War II. <clears throat> There's, there are a couple of those books that begin in 1944 with the buildup to the D-Day invasion. That's where the story begins. 
Now, because the story begins there, does that mean that the author does not believe that Germany invaded Poland in 1939? Does that mean that the author does not believe that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941? Of course not. He's got a perspective and a lesson that he's teaching. He has somewhere where he's going. That's a specific point he's trying to make. So just because the absence of a of a point of history is not noted in a book does not mean that the author did not believe it happened. I've got a book in my office on U.S. history and it picks up from the Civil War. It's U.S. history from the Civil War uh, to the present. Does that mean that the author does not believe in the War for Independence and he does not believe in the War of 1812 and he doesn't believe in the Mexican War? Of course not. He has a specific lesson that he is teaching starting from a specific point. So if anyone ever says, well, you don't find that in the book of Mark, well, Mark doesn't pick up at the beginning of the life of Christ. Well, John, you know, John picks up all the way, he starts all the way back at creation. He doesn't even start with the birth of Christ. He goes all the way back to Genesis. So when you hear people say, well, that's not listed anywhere else in scripture, that's not a faithful uh, uh, statement of, of, of truth. There are other objections. Some people say the virgin birth is biologically impossible. What is our answer to that? Yep. <laughs> You're right. I don't know if you know this or not, but this has only happened one time in all of history. Biologically, we know that it's impossible for the virgin birth to, to occur. But I love Luke 137. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Somebody says it's hard to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Well, really, that's just according to how big your God is. If you can believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and you can believe anything the Bible says that God does. Understand, God operates from a different set of rules than we do. So whatever he says that goes outside of what our human minds can comprehend, we should still accept because he's God. There's a, a pastor back in the early 20th century, a man by the name of Dr. William Evans. He was once speaking on the virgin birth. And I wouldn't do this, but... He was a, a really smart man, really well-respected well preacher. Everyone was amazed one day when he's preaching. He's preaching on the virgin birth. He picks up his Bible and he talks about doubts about the virgin birth of Christ. So he takes those pages in his Bible and he rips them out, just throws them out. He said, okay, if we can't believe the virgin birth, then let's tear it out of the Bible. Then he said, speaking of that, we probably can't believe the resurrection either. So he goes to the resurrection chapters and he starts ripping those out and he throws those out as well. Then he says, well, if you can't believe that, we probably won't believe the stories of all the miracles. So he goes to the miracles and he tears them out and throws them out. He took anything that was what we would call, call supernatural, ripped it out of his Bible, had all these pages laying all over. He said, all we have left is the Sermon on the Mount. And he made the statement, the Sermon on the Mount then has no authority for me if a divine Christ didn't preach it. Has no authority if a divine Christ didn't preach it. When a birth occur occurs, there are three people involved, a man, woman, and God. And nobody can say that birth is an accident because any birth that occurs, God was involved. When conception occurs, it was God who contributes the creative power, the life power. And there was one time in history when God bypassed a human carrier and God directly touched the womb of Mary so that when Jesus Christ was born, he was born of a virgin, a direct creative act of God in the womb of Mary. Then the last point here, and we'll be done. The, th the last point is the purposes of the virgin birth. Why? Why was Jesus virgin born? Why is that a big deal to us in the Christian faith? Three big points here, and we'll be done for the day. First point here, the virgin birth is essential to the two natures of Jesus. 
When Jesus was born, he was God and he was man. Which one was he more of? Both. I guess that's not really an answer, but you know. Was he more God than man? Yes. Was he more man than God? Uh Uh-huh. I I mean, he was all the same. He was 100% God and 100% man. He needed to be both God and man. He needed to be man to understand and identify with us. I love Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a savior who doesn't know what it's like to be a human being because he was 100% human. He lived on this earth. He dealt with temptation. He knows what you and I are going through. Whatever problems you have today, you don't have a God who's so far away in heaven, completely removed from you, who doesn't care about what you're going through and has no idea how you feel. No, contrary. He knows exactly how you feel because he lived the same life that you live. But he also needed to be God in order to meet our needs and to have the power to meet those needs. It's essential to his divine and human nature. He had to be the God-man. He had to be able to lay hold of God because he was God. He had to be able to lay hold of man because he had the nature of man apart from sin so he could bring the two together. Number two, it's essential also to the sinless life of Jesus. If he hadn't been virgin born, he couldn't have been sinless. Luke one thirty five it says this, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That holy thing. You know, we got some new babies being born around here and it's great. And when you see the new baby, you know, you have all these, you know, everybody oohs and ahs and everybody loses their ever-loving mind with a baby. You know, we start goo-gooing and goo-goo-gaga. We start talking baby talk and it gets out of hand and we just act ridiculous. And I wonder if the babies are looking at us thinking, what in the world are you guys doing? But, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, just such a cute little thing, such a sweet little thing. You know what we don't say? Such a holy little thing. Why? Because at like two o'clock in the morning, the most unholy sound comes out of that baby. That baby is screaming and pitching a fit. That baby is born in sin. (laughs) That baby is wrapped up. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of that child. We talk about how beautiful and how wonderful these babies are, but they're not holy. When Jesus was born, he was that holy thing. You know, what happens when you have that baby? You get that baby already. And we got some folks in here this morning that did this. You got, you got all ready to go. You got your new clothes on. You come into church. You got the baby taken care of. Got the new outfit on the baby. You pick the baby up. You start walking out and it leaves an unholy mess on your shirt. Uh, you know, and, and leaves, many of us have had that experience before. We don't call these new babies holy, but Jesus, when he was born, he was called that holy thing. Jesus never did sin. The only way to account for the sinless life of Christ was that he was born of a virgin. And then the last point here, the virgin birth is, of Jesus is absolutely essential to his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. These three major doctrines all go together. The sacrificial death of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, and the virgin birth of Christ. They all three are pillars. They either all stand together or they fall together. Jesus Christ could not have died sacrificially on the cross for our sins if he had not been sinless. If Jesus had not been virgin born, he would have not been sinless. When we were born, we were tainted with the fallen nature. If you're here today and think, man, this is bad news. We, well, I'm not sinless and I've got this, this burden of sin. Well, I mean, how does this work? I mean, what hope is there? Well, the bad news is in Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. 
and death by sin. It gets worse. So death passed upon all men. Dun, 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 for that all have sinned. That's condemnation. That's heavy. That's the bad news. But then when we get to the sacrificial uh, uh, atonement of Jesus Christ, man, that's the good news. Then there came a man from heaven. All right, you go back to John. I mean, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All right, you know, I mean, that is a, such a monumental chapter of history because now we have a savior who comes, who lived a sinless life, said sin has passed on all the world, but we have one, there's one man, the God man who could come sacrifice, uh, be the sacrifice for our sin. Why do you, act, why does your child act like you? <laughs> because they have your nature. Why did you act the way you do? Because you have your daddy's nature. We're all born with a tainted nature, uh, tainted by sin. The virgin birth was essential because we needed a savior. If you're not saved today, if you don't know the Lord today, this is the best part of the story right here. Jesus came and we celebrate Christmas and his birth, it's a huge deal. We spend lots of money most of us don't have to give gifts to people we don't even like, but we do it because of this one moment here, because Jesus Christ came as our sacrifice. He came and was born of a virgin. Now that's a big deal, but the biggest deal, fast forwards to the spring when we get to the resurrection. The reason Christmas is so important is because Jesus Christ came and took our place on that cross, laid his life down as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. And he completed the whole story three days later at Easter, at the resurrection. Why is Christmas such a big deal for Christians? Because this is the beginning of our atonement. When Jesus Christ comes, this is the beginning moment of our sinless Savior who began his life here on this earth to proclaim the good news of salvation and to fulfill that on the cross. I heard the story many years ago about two doctors in New Orleans. One was a Christian and one was a non-Christian. The doctor who was a non-Christian said to the other, he said, we had a woman in the hospital who claimed that she was a virgin and was gonna give birth to a son. Would you believe her? The Christian doctor said, well, if her little son grew in favor with God and man and her son healed the sick and raised the dead, if her little son who became a man never said a sinful word or committed a sinful deed and her son died on a cross for the sins of the whole world, if her son was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead, then I'd believe her. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. His life was the proclamation, was the evidence that he was born of a virgin. Christian, we can have confidence in what the Bible teaches about the virgin birth of Christ. Regardless of who believes us, history has shown through multiple fulfilled prophecies that what the Bible says about Christ can be trusted. If you're not saved today, if you're not a child of God, if you are not a believer, you can have faith in the fulfilled prophecies of God's word. You know, for a long time, I really battled this thing of faith. I really felt like this is something, how did we know that we were right? You know, it felt like there are so many religions in the world and we're just kind of, you know, shooting in the wind, spitting in the dark, just kind of pick one and whichever one you pick, hopefully it's the right one. But understand, when it comes to faith, God says, I don't want you just wishing upon a star. I want you to understand, I want you to have faith in evidence and substance that I've provided you. The word of God and the prophecies of the Old Testament prove, prove that there's only one person who could ever be our savior 
and that was Jesus Christ. They proved that only one man in the course of history, a known historical figure, could ever fulfill what was stated by the Old Testament prophets. And then as we get into the New Testament, we read story after story, book after book, by, from author after author, who declare with eyewitness evidence that these things happened. And they happened the way they were proclaimed. If you're not a believer today, you can have faith in Jesus Christ. You can have faith in God's word. It's been proven. It's been proven. Faith is substance and evidence that God has given us about his son through his word. We'll finish with that today. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a savior. And not just a savior from heaven, but a savior who lived on this earth as a human, who knows the temptations we face. Lord, we're thankful that we have a savior who knows the condition in which we live. We have a savior who knows our heart, our heartaches and our hurts. He knows the difficulty of living a life on this earth. But Lord, you gave us a savior who was sinless and who laid his life down on a cross for us and took the penalty for sin so that we could know you, that we could have peace with you and that we could one day live in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we leave here today to have more confidence in who you are as a savior because of how you were born. And as we celebrate this Christmas season, Lord, I pray that you would help us all to remember the importance, the value of you being born of a virgin and what that means for our Christianity and our faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, we won't belager the moment, we won't be long, but with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, is there anyone today you'd say, Brent, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've trusted in him as my savior. I believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I know that if I were to die today, I've accepted him as my savior and I know I'm gonna be in heaven with him. How many of you would say, Brent, that's me. All across the room this morning, lift up your hand and say, that's me. I know I've trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. All hands across the room. You can put your hands down. How many of you this morning would say, Brent, I'm, I'm one who maybe, uh, maybe you would say, I, I've never understood the, the virgin birth and the significance of that. Maybe there's someone in here say, Brent, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. If I were to die, I know that I have not accepted his sacrifice on the cross for my sin, but I would like to. I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But how many of you would say, Brent, I'm gonna be honest. If I were to die today, I don't know that Jesus Christ is my savior. I don't know that I would go, I would be on my way to an eternal heaven. How many of you would say, that's me, Brent? Slip your hand up this morning all across the room today and say, that's me. I don't know for sure if I die today that I would go to heaven, that Christ is my savior, but I'd like to know it. Let's all stand together this morning with the heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano begins to play. Let's take a few moments. If you need to have a time with the Lord, focus back on trusting his word. Take a few moments. As a Christian, we can have confidence in God's word. You can have confidence in what the word, the Bible teaches us about the birth of Christ, about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you've been facing some doubts in your life, doubting the promises of God's word, take a moment this morning, have a moment of prayer, spend time with the Lord, make your heart right with him. We can believe what he says because his word is true.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us a book that we can trust. And Lord, I know that if we can trust the virgin birth story in the Gospels, we can trust your promises when it says that you hear us when we pray. We can trust your promises when it says you'll meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, if, if we can trust the virgin birth story, we know that we have a savior and we have a home in heaven, that we have an eternity ahead of us and that we've been called into your family. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we leave here today with a renewed confidence, a renewed confidence in who we are in you and that we have a savior who knows what it's like to be us, but was sinless and laid down his life for us and now intercedes on our behalf before the Father every day. I pray, Lord, that you bless us now as we head into this Christmas season. Help us to be a testimony in our community. Lord, help us to be a witness of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us be used as vessels to see people saved and trust you as their Savior during this holiday season. And we'll thank you, Lord, for all that you do now in Jesus' name. Amen.